latest from Scotston. This is Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors' official podcast. Hello and welcome back to Warriors Weekly, uh, Glasgow Warriors' official podcast. We're here at Scotston on... Tuesday night, five almost five thirty. Uh, so a bit of a late one. Um, with me this week, uh, no Adam Ash. He's uh, he's probably gone home hours ago. Uh, but we have got uh, Glasgow Warriors media manager Duncan Seller is joining us this week. How are you doing, Duncan? I'm not too bad, Jeremy. How are you? Very well, thanks. Yes, good, very good, well. Good, good, good. And uh, also our special guest uh, this week is uh, Scotland's national Fraser Brown. Fraser, you all right? Yeah, I'm good. What are you doing still here? Uh, I'm just hard working. <laughs> Just training too much. Actually, I was doing the unofficial podcast before. So oh, well, yeah. <laughs> now you do the official one. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, well, welcome along, guys. Um, Fraser, let's uh, just touch on uh, the Leinster game of the weekend. You weren't playing, but it was it was disappointing, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. I think probably just continued a trend of the last couple of weeks of things that we, we've not done well on the pitch, which just put us into difficult situations. Um Pretty obvious watching it. I think we, we probably we didn't manage the middle third of the game well enough. Uh, I thought we started really well actually. Um, when you when you look at how we started the game, we started with some real tempo, um, real quick stuff. We moved the ball well. I thought guys challenged really well on the wide channels. We got a lot of sort of inroads there. I thought uh, Hugh attacked well. You know, he attacked weak shoulders and got in behind the gain line. Say when Nico. So I think we started well, and then probably in that. Last 15 minutes of the first half, we, we just lost a little bit of control and we probably didn't manage the game as well as we could. And then just two pretty soft tries in quick succession, which was disappointing as well because I thought we defended well for most of the game. It's just probably switched off two or three times and we got really badly hurt. And what was the review like yesterday? Just that, to be honest. I think... I don't want to get caught up in statistics because when you look at the stats, you know they're they're pretty positive from our point of view. I think there's a couple of, of of damning ones, which would be that we weren't clinical enough, particularly when we had a lot of possession in the first half, uh, and then probably in that last ten minutes, uh, and then also that we let ourselves down uh, a couple of times in defence, and again we just turned the ball over too much. Um, but the areas where we're turning the ball over, so we turned it over in that middle part of the pitch, and then when you turn it over there, all of a sudden you can quickly find yourself defending in your own 22 um, so it, sort of a continuing theme from the second half against Sale and the second half against Exeter is just probably in that period after half time how can we manage the game better to just give us a, a better opportunity to pressurise teams So that's something you've been looking at and working on ahead of this weekend's match against La Rochelle yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche because whenever you go into the media or you hear people in the media, they say, oh, we, we performed well, or we've been training well, we were doing this well. It's just little bits and pieces of the game. But uh, like the reality of rugby or any kind of sport at this level is it is tiny little things of the game. And, and I don't like the word momentum, but there are, there are tiny little instances, instances in the game which they go another way or yeah. you execute better or you, you make a tackle, you get a bit more width. The whole thing can change. Line. Exactly, yeah. And, yeah. and that's what it is. So um, by and large, we probably got around 85 to 90% of things right at the weekend, but the 10 to 15% of things that we didn't get right, which we didn't get right the weekend before as well, really hurt us. And really, you've really said after the match, didn't you, that we're not that far away from getting it right. Yeah, he was just saying it was those little things, kind of those extra bits and bobs, you know, catching one person catches a pass, that bounce goes better for Hugh, that's another two tries, you know, Nico. 
Yeah, definitely. Like there, there are little things. Like um, the majority of our game was was good, but you still come back to those little things are the things that we should be executing. Nine point nine times out of ten. At the minute, we're probably around the seven out of ten, um, which falls on the players because ultimately we we're the ones that have to execute at the weekend, um, and and the decisions that we make. So taking the right decisions. So you. You've got a fraction of the second to decide whether to give the pass, whether to hold on, to hold your feet so that you're not too flat, to choose the right kick option. So it's, all, it's like a lot that. of it's decision making. Yeah, a lot of it. And that's from 1 to 15. Again, I think a lot of the pressure can go on maybe your playmakers or your 9 or 10, 15 and how you're looking to exit. But a, a lot of that pressure can be relieved on the guys that are outside them, talking to them and telling them where the space is, communicating, them in, communicating in where the space is, what options to take. Because... These guys don't have eight pairs of eyes to see every option on the pitch, but the other 10, 12 players do. So being able to communicate, get those links and those channels of communication better and clearer so that the guys in those positions can make more informed decisions. And what are you expecting from Lara Shell this weekend? Probably pretty similar to what we faced in the last couple of weeks. Um, they're a team that probably won't take many risks from their own half in terms of their own set piece. I think if you you turn the ball over, you kick the ball to them, they'll they'll attack you from anywhere. And they've got some incredible rugby players. Just you know, looking at guys like Vitavito, you got Dumaru in the centres, you got Botia, um, real dangerous runners. You got Murumurivalo at fifteen, like guys that can really take you to pieces if you're. Uh, loose at them and you turn over too much ball um, then on, on their attacking side the big physical guys come around the corner hard off nine um, said before they got a lot of dangerous options so for us there's nothing particularly that you can pick out it, it's just we've got to be able to defend well as a team um, we've got to hold on to the ball like if, if you have possession of the ball then you're less, chance, you're less yeah. likely to get scored against. So for us, it's, it's been clinical and cutting out those mistakes. I think that was one of the things in the second half on Saturday. It was just getting possession was, was a challenge, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Leinster are probably the best team in Europe at keeping hold of the ball. Uh, if you turn the ball over against them, you might not tuck it, touch it for another four minutes. You know, they've consistently gone 20 phases plus in multiple games and they demonstrate that they're just the best team at keeping the ball so if you want to be loose against them and you want to kick poorly you want to turn over and be inaccurate then you're going to spend a lot of the a lot of the game defending um la rochelle won't be as structured as they are or probably look after the ball quite as well as leinster because pretty much no team does um but they're probably a, a lot more clinical at attacking you off first second third phases from turnover ball um, and, and if you're loose or you don't have a connected line against them, you, you know, you could find yourself quite easily back under the posts. And then you watched this weekend's game uh, from a different kind of position rather than like a player. You were yep. sitting in the commentary box yep. with BBC Radio. So that's the second time you've done that this season, is it? Uh, yeah, I've done it. I did it a few times last season. I did a couple of the Scotland warm-up games because um, I wasn't able to play. Um, it's just, I get to tell people what's, well, I get to tell them anything because they can't see what's going on so they have to listen to me whether they got a choice or not but no I, I enjoy it like I, I like it it's a it's a different perspective you have to be a lot more analytical when you're watching it than you would do as just a non-playing player because you've got to well it's not my job to describe what's going on obviously that's a commentator's job but it's, it's my job to probably try and 
explain what's going on in terms of why it's happening on the pitch. So why we're kicking to a certain place or why we're maybe not just kicking off nine and we're moving at one or two players out and how that manipulates backfield. So I, I enjoy it from that point of view because I get to talk for pretty much 90 minutes and no one can stop me. Yeah, and, and do you find that when you're sitting watching it that you're kind of not maybe less invested but you're not as passionate because you're having to sit there in a radio sense? Or do you have oh, to... Oh, no, I, I have to stop myself from swearing. <laughs> like, the lucky thing with radio mics is if you've not got them right up to your mouth and you're holding them, say, a foot away, they don't tend to pick up that much. Right. So if I'm swearing or shouting or gesticulating, like I, I have to remember to take the microphone away. Uh, but it's quite good fun. I usually do it with Wrighty, and uh, Wright and I mm-hmm. often agree. Peter Wright. And, yeah, yeah, Peter Wright and disagree at the same time. So I've known Pete for quite a while. So it's Also, it makes me look quite... Un, well, quite balanced and unbiased when right he's going hard at referees in every game and I know that I might have to he get refereed that, by he? them in a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah well he can be quite brutal and then they're looking around I'm like oh no I, I, no, I, I think he's having a great game what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> what's the mood in the camp been, this, been like this week because obviously it's coming off the back of two defeats is that, does that does everyone's heads go down or is it do you just have to come back in on a Monday and just try and reset no, they don't go down. Like I think there's probably a, there's a lot of frustration. I think that um, if you'd seen train today, that probably boiled over a little bit. Um, maybe it was a little bit sort of fractious, but not not in a bad way. Just because there's, there's genuine frustration there, and, and there's competition as well. There's guys that are not going to be picked this week that want to be that want to be playing. Um, it, it's hard. Like as I say, the performances probably haven't. We haven't performed for 80 minutes in these games, but the the parts of the games where we've played, we've played really well. For that first 40 minutes against Exeter, um, to be honest, I thought we, we kind of dominated that first half. It probably wasn't reflected on the, on the scoreboard. Um, and, and I think when you hear dominated, people expect you to be running over the top of people or, you know, ahead by 20 points. But in the key areas, I thought that we were we were well ahead in that first half but you probably wanted to be ahead more on the on the scoreboard than ideally yes um, and that's I suppose that's the what you're talking about the momentum thing it's yeah. the confidence and then you know it all kind of goes from there yeah, I mean I, ideally you'd love to be anytime you get an attacking opportunity you'd love to score off of that um, I think a large part of rugby is is sticking to your your game plan and being accurate enough so that even if you get 50 or 60 minutes into a game and you maybe only up on the score by a bit or you might even be losing you've you've put in the work so that the you know the other team the other front five perhaps are are absolutely knackered they're out on their feet or because of how they're having to defend against us they've maybe had to use their bench 10 or 15 minutes before they wanted to and that all has a compound effect on the game because it means that it might look like a, a pretty even game for 60 or 70 minutes, but then in the last 10 minutes, yeah. you're able to execute. Because or you might have conditions like you may be playing into the wind yeah, or whatever absolutely. it may be. So, so um, I suppose the score doesn't always reflect the, what's happening on the pitch. No, I mean, sometimes it does. And at the end of the day, the score reflects what it reflects. Like you either win or you lose. Uh, and usually the most clinical team wins. Um, so there's there's something in that. This is Warriors Weekly. Let's move on. Uh, in terms of, uh, it's been a, a busy few weeks for the club, really, uh, off the pitch. Um, 
obviously Dave's announced that he's uh, he's joining Australia, which is which is great, a uh, great opportunity for him as the new head coach for Australia, and, and Danny Wilson's uh, coming in next season. Yeah, you've worked with Danny at Scotland. Um, what do you think of him? What has he been? You've worked closely with him. Yeah, no, I think Danny's is a really detailed coach. Um, having worked pretty closely around lineouts and around forward play, like he, he's a very hard worker. Yet to meet a coach that's not a hard worker off the pitch, but he generally spends a lot of time. I mean, for us at the World Cup, um, you know, the way our, our line out functions is that we try and win it in certain areas so that we can strike off, make our strikes easier. You know, if, you, if you're trying to run a, a wide play, winning the ball on the five meter line is not ideal. But um, international teams and line out defenses have become so good at, at trying to give you what they want you to take. So, for instance, you know, Leinster at the weekend, you could win the ball all day long between five and seven metres out from the touchline because they're quite happy defending that. Mm-hmm. You want to try to win the ball at the middle of the back and they've got two or three pods sitting there cutting out. So Danny worked really, really hard to try and manipulate line-out defences to find us the right spaces to attack in. Uh, and I think, I don't know what the stats are, but I, th- I think we probably only lost maybe two line-outs across that, that campaign, which... You know, if you're looking at an average of probably 12 to 15 a, a game, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's a pretty decent percentage. Um, so he he works really, really hard at trying to find the right opportunities. Um, and he's he's a really nice bloke. Um, like I, I think it's important that nowadays in age you get a whole variety of, of personnel and, and and characters and personalities. But I think when you when you've got a guy that can demand standards of you on the pitch, but once that's done, you're able to go off it and you're able to speak to him and, and, and have a laugh and, and be able to separate the the professional and the personal. Yep. I think it's really important. And then uh, you'll have you'll have coached uh, sorry, you'll have played against Cardiff Blues yep. when he was head coach. Do you, what do you remember about them and their forwards and just kind of the way they played in general? I mean that was a Cardiff team that tried to play sort of enterprising, entertaining rugby. Like mm-hmm. they, they got their basics, they did their basics very well. So, you know, your fundamentals of your game especially from forward you've got to have your line out done you've got to have your scrum done your line out defence um, defensively you've got yep. to be strong um, and then on that you can then build how you attack you can build the other bits and pieces so you know you're always always very strong at scrum Cardiff um, you know never had a real easy time there um, line out wise um, they were well organised again it, it was difficult to try and win ball off of them um, and then they just try and attack you in the right areas so if that went being direct to try and create space they would do that but then when they had the opportunity to play they they weren't afraid to, to throw the ball about and and to play some real quick high tempo rugby that would really stress you so um yeah if that's a sign of things to come here then that's great news and Danny said at the time when when the announcement was made they didn't want to change the way that that we play this sort of Glasgow way of playing that that's sort a of fast tempo uh, rugby is, is that something that pleases you yeah, I mean... Um, Maybe not from a fitness perspective. But <laughs> no, well, I, I said um, when I, I, I re-signed, I did that interview, and one of the best things about playing here is that the brand of rugby that we play. Um, yes, it can be frustrating when we don't get it right, but I'd rather be in a team that's trying to play rugby in the right fashion and enjoy it. And it is demanding. You know, you you've, we do play at a, a tempo which can stress you, but that's... That's part of the enjoyable thing about being a professional is that you're, you're looking to try and stress yourself, maybe stress ourselves a little bit too <laughs> many times than I would like, but it's 
it's an important part of being part of this club is that we like to play rugby in a certain fashion. Um, and that's what attracts the supporters. It's what you know has helped grow the club over the last few years as well. So it's, yeah, that's well, really, it's really important. I mean, you don't turn up. Well, I certainly wouldn't turn up. I don't think many people would turn up just to watch a team pick and go, box kick from their own half all the way up to another 30 metres out from another team and just chase the whole time. Like You've got to be trying to be enterprising. You've got to enjoy what you do, but you've also got to entertain people because professional sport is professional sport. You know, we're all here because people pay to come and watch us play rugby. It's a massive privilege, but you've got to entertain at the same time. You've got to win, but you've got to entertain. Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors official podcast. Let's talk about you, Fraser. How, how are you? You've obviously signed a new contract uh, with the club uh, over the last couple of weeks, and so what's through till twenty twenty three. So you must be really pleased about that. Yeah, yeah, really pleased. Um, I said at the time, this club has been a huge part of uh, not just my life, but my family's life, my wife's life. Um, resurrected a, a pretty dying career when I was in my early twenties, um, and I've been here for what, uh, seven years now, it'll take me through to t- 10 years at the club. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love this club, I love everything about it. Um, as I say, it, it was, it has been my career to be here, so to be here for another three years is just brilliant. I remember when you came into the club, um, I bet you didn't imagine that what's kind of happened since then, you know, you've gone on and playing regularly for Scotland and you know played a lot of, for the club as well is you know was that something that you were hoping to achieve or did um, you think you could you could do it because obviously as you say at the time it was it was a difficult time in your career wasn't it yeah i mean i think there's a there's a fine line between arrogance and between self belief so is it something that i thought i could do like yes like it had been my goal from being a little boy was to play for my country um in doing that, I wanted to be a professional rugby player and I wanted to be part of that and I believed that I could be a major part in Glasgow and a major part in Scotland. Um, did I think it was going to happen at a certain point in my life? Definitely not. Did I think it was going to happen when I started playing for Glasgow? Probably not. Um, but the more you're in the environment, the more that you push yourself and, and you, the more driven you are, I think those possibilities become realities and, and and for me I think I'm just I'm so appreciative of every time I get to play at Glasgow and, and Scotland as well every time I get to go and, and, and play rugby uh, I'm so appreciative of the opportunity that I've got so it's probably not something that I, I thought was going to happen at a certain point in my in my life in my career but it's always something that I thought was possible. Obviously, it's taken a lot of hard work and the right sort of mentality, if you like, and I suppose having the right people around you at the club. Yeah, at the club and at home, um, like I can't emphasize the role outside of rugby enough and, and helping you to perform on the pitch. Like we were just talking before we came on, I think if you provide players and staff and coaches and whoever it is with the right support off of the pitch um, create the the right environment for them to thrive, to enjoy coming in, to enjoy learning, to enjoy um, socialising and communicating with other players, with other members of staff, with other coaches and create the right environment that their families feel like they're, they're coming and they're part of that, then 
then people will thrive uh, in any organization, but particularly in, in this one, I think if the more the more invested your whole family is in, in Glasgow and the club and what you do, I just think the more players thrive. And, and I think this is why this is such a successful club um, and why so many people want to stay here, why so many people want to join it, why so many fans en enjoy the club and enjoy the people around the club because they, they see the, the genuine enjoyment that not just the players and the coaches and the, and the staff have, but that their families have when they come into to Scotsdale. You mentioned families there, and earlier on you'd said um, that the club had been a big part of your wife's life. Yep. So what do you think her feelings are towards the Warriors and kind of what's her affinity? And if, if I asked her, what do you think of the Warriors, what do you think she'd come back and tell me? Honestly? Yes. I don't think I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, um, being the partner or a wife uh, or the, the child or being the parents of anyone involved in professional sport and rugby is difficult. Um, because it's a 24-7 job like everything you do revolves around rugby and your wife and your kids are the biggest thing in your life but then you can't help escape the fact that rugby is the most visual part of your life for probably the majority of the time you're doing it it affects everything you do it affects from what you eat from when you socialise from the time away from home the time you're at home the time that you can go on holiday like it affects everything, um, and it's a reasonably short career as well. So you've got to, you've got to do it while you can. Yeah, I mean, you have to try and maximise the opportunity you've got while you've got it, um, and that's difficult because, you know, it's it's not easy when you go home because um, it, it's just a difficult business, and that's a that's a balance you've got to strike, and it's not one that that's that's even throughout your whole career. It's not even one that's even throughout the whole season. Um, you know, obviously we came off the back of the World Cup. Uh, I was injured in the summer. Summer's a great time because there's no games, so it's an opportunity for you to go and be a bit more social with your family, your wife, uh, with your friends, your close friends. It's, it's an opportunity to go and do things at the weekend. And I had a World Cup that I was desperate to go to, which it looked for quite a while like I was never going to be fit for. So every single bit of spare time I had in the summer was dedicated to something to do with rugby. And that's difficult because you're saying that to my wife, you're the most important thing in my life. But for my life right now, just about the most important thing is to do everything I can to be fit to go to, go the, to the World Cup. Cup. So it, it, it's a difficult thing. It's something that I love doing and it's something that, that she loves being a part of, even though it's, it can be a great frustration for, for her and, and for myself. But um, it, it's something that I think she's incredibly proud to be part of. Does she come to the games? She tries to come to as many as she can. The Friday night ones are difficult. She works uh, just in Musselburgh, so it's not easy for her to get here. No. Um, she was here at the weekend, even though we weren't playing. Um, but she she does love she loves coming and seeing the girls and and uh, the kids and the boys. So she she definitely tries to come when she can. The latest from Scotston Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors official podcast. Uh, let's talk about Scotland and. The Rugby World Cup, uh, obviously, was so disappointing uh, in the end, but it must have been a great experience for you to be out in Japan. Talk us, talk us through that. Japan's an amazing place. It's my third time out. Um, so my under twenties World Cup in two thousand and nine was my first experience of Japan, um, which is crazy to think that that was ten years ago. Are there any boys that are in our squad right now that are with you in Japan at that point? Yep. Um, so Wilson. Um, Henry, I know he's obviously at Edinburgh, but Henry was there. 
Um, there's a lot. Progos, uh, is it? Yeah. yeah, Progos, yeah, there's a lot. So uh, Chris Fazzaro, Fuzzy was out there. Um, Rob Harley was out there. Um, I know Richie doesn't play here, but Richie Gray, um, Grant Gilchrist, uh, Finn Gillis, who obviously used to play here. Finn yeah. was out there. It's um, quite a few. Alex Dunbar. <laughs> Um, I'd probably someone that I forgot, and they're going to shout at me. But generally, that that squad, that year group, um, quite a number of us then came through from that, and then into the professional setup. And even from then, quite a large number of them have gone on to play for for Scotland. So um, it was quite a successful year. So that was my first experience of Japan, and then we we're out there again uh, three years ago. We had summer tour there three years ago. Um, which, to be honest, the transformation between three years ago and this World Cup is is quite stark because just what an experience it was the whole country just as fanatical about anything that's going on in the country um I, you know i'm sure they're rugby fans now i'm not sure they were rugby fans before or even at the time but the the whole how the whole country just embraces the event and what it is and it's like nothing i've ever experienced we play in japan and there's like seventy thousand what looks like Japanese rugby players in the stands because they've not just come to support their country, they've come and they're in full kit. Some of them had boots on, some had scrum cats on, some had women head tape on. I mean, just Can crazy, you. honestly. Like, in what a, what a, like a wonderful country, but just what wonderful people. They were so welcoming, so appreciative of everyone being there and, and the event and just um, teams coming and playing in Japan and just... They were really appreciative of people coming and actually experiencing Japan and seeing how their culture was and what they had to offer. So, yeah, I mean, I think obviously the rugby side was was really disappointing. But if if you part that to one side, the experience of being in that environment and in Japan was was unbelievable. And that last game against Japan, there was, there was so much that went around that, wasn't there? And how difficult was that uh, being being part of that? Yeah, I don't know difficult is probably the right word. I think it was a unique experience with obviously the typhoon beforehand, um, something that I'd never experienced, hopefully won't experience again. Um, the uncertainty around just not not the uncertainty that people wanted the game to go ahead, but the uncertainty whether it would be able to go ahead, just the the damage, how much damage, if there was going to be damage the next day, what would be able to get there, would fans be able to get there? Um, you just you didn't know. Um, we're sitting in our hotel at five o'clock the night before, and we know there's a typhoon coming. We're eating dinner, and then all of a sudden the whole building started to shake, and there'd been an earthquake at the same time just up the road, and which sounds dramatic because it's an earthquake, it is. But someone was then telling us that Japan gets something like over two thousand earthquakes every year, um, and they unbelievable how they deal with those yeah. natural disasters and just the part of daily life for them. Um, I can't imagine a typhoon or a storm that size hitting the UK and the damage it would have caused yeah. and how many weeks and months it would have taken us to clear it up. But at you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., they had people up repairing things, clearing things. So for the game to actually go ahead was such a huge achievement. Was it hard to focus on the on the rugby, on the game, whenever all that was going on around you? No. like I think that's, that's your job, is to... Is to be able to focus now you can obviously think different for different people um you might be sitting there and i certainly was thinking oh i don't know if this is going to go ahead tomorrow but then your job is to be able to flip the switch so the next day when you get up and i think it was about i think it was 10 a.m i think it was announced on twitter but then as soon as you find that out you're like right well we've got a game today and then you just you're straight back into normal mode um and then just 
the game itself, I've not watched it back. Um, I gather from a neutral watching it, it was a decent game of rugby. Um, but just the atmosphere, the, the Japanese anthem at the start, it was so solemn and but you had 70, 80,000 people doing it and it was just with the hairs in the back of your neck stand up just because it was just such a... So much emotion. It was, it's such a strange atmosphere. But um, And then at the end as well, I've, I've never been in a stadium where genuinely you could barely hear yourself think. I think I was sitting next to sitting next to Greg on the bench and I think we were trying to chat at the end of the game and just couldn't hear yourself. You couldn't hear anything at all. I mean, the crowd with about 30 seconds to go and it was obvious that they weren't going to lose and they were going through. It was just unbelievable. Um, obviously, from our point of view, bitterly disappointing, but well, yeah, what, a, what an experience to be part of. Great. Well, thanks uh, so much for joining us. It's um, yeah, coming up to six o'clock now on Tuesday night. So yeah, thanks for that. Uh, Duncan, thank you and, and Fraser and good luck this weekend. Thank you. Cheers, Jeremy. This is Warriors Weekly. So that's it for this week's uh, Warriors Weekly. Um, as we discussed there, we're over in La Rochelle on Saturday. Uh, the game's live on BT Sport. We've also got uh, our new Famous Grouse fan zone uh, down at the old schoolhouse um, on Woodlands Road in Glasgow. So get down there and uh, join in with the fun. There'll be some uh, non-playing players down there as well. Uh, that all kicks off at 1 o'clock. The game kicks off at 3.15 UK time. And then next Saturday, we're back at Scottsdale and tickets are still available for the second game against La Rochelle in the Heineken Champions Cup. Head to glasgowarriors.org to secure your tickets and we'll be back next Tuesday at 5. Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors official podcast.